Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Gail. And hello, I'm Catherine. And I'm Naomi. Hi, Naomi. Hi, Naomi. We are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and we're delighted to welcome you to today's episode. Each week, we showcase vital women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who continue to shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest focuses on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. And we're so pleased to welcome Naomi Paulson. Naomi is 92 years old. She's from New London, Connecticut. Naomi, who was referred to us by her daughter, Susan Epstein, now lives with her in ideal circumstances in her daughter's home, yet with a separate living space. Naomi always knew she wanted a career in public health and became first a nurse and worked in New York for the city health department providing education and medical care primarily for Latin Americans. She took a break when her children were born and returned to nursing as a school nurse and then became an administrator in the health department, overseeing health services for schools. Later, after moving to New London in 1955, she continued her work in public health while also running a nonprofit, New London Parks Conservancy. Naomi has two children, was married for 65 years until her husband passed away in 2019. So thank you for joining us today, Naomi. You have so many interests, and I'd like to start our conversation by asking you about your work in public health. Did you work with all ages? All ages. All ages. I worked with the family and the community and in schools as well. Yes, and, and uh, what, what was the nature of your work? Well, um, when I hit the uh, pavement, so to speak, <laughs> I, um, I was in my early 20s, right out of nursing school. I had registered at New York University because I was interested in a career in public health nursing. Um, I was assigned a school and a community. New York City is a a very large community, as you all know. Millions of people live together, crammed very often. At that time in the 50s, 10 years after the Second World War, which I went through with while I was in high school the entire time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here I am, and um, I'm given an area of four, six blocks square, Mm -hmm. which included Central Park West and over to Riverside Drive, just edging Central Park, if any of you have been to the city, beautiful park. And uh, from 96 to 103rd Street, that was a combination of people who had lots of bucks and people who didn't. And a lot of immigrants coming from Puerto Rico at that time, 
and very poor, trying to have a better life. And when I started uh, visiting their homes, they lived crammed together in tenement buildings, no elevators, uh, walking up to five and six stories, carrying a bag. When I would open the front door, and uh, before I could even get to the first family, because three or four to five families would be living in a five-room apartment, sharing a kitchen and bath. And all the other rooms were there. Each, each had a room. So a living room became an apartment. And a dining room was an apartment. And on and on. Really tight living quarters and very, very hard on them. Uh, I visited infants, with new infants, with their mothers who very often had, um, this was their first arrival. I had to convince many of them to nurse their babies, which was cheaper for them, mm -hmm. because that's what they did in Puerto Rico. But here, they found cans of milk on the store shelves, and they thought that was so much better. And I pleaded with them, please, please don't do that. Your milk is what your baby needs. Some I convinced, and others I, I couldn't. It was overwhelming, that particular area. Anyway, um, I checked the babies that came in from the hospital and made sure everything was okay with the moms and set them up with appointments at the local health center. And uh, we, had, we ran centers for new babies and their moms. And uh, unfortunately, we had other services there as well. We were still fighting tuberculosis, and that was when people live together in tight places and their hygiene is not great and so forth and so on, it spreads. And that was a biggie. And the other thing was we had venereal diseases. Today they call it sexually transmitted disease or STDs. But then I had to hunt up contacts if somebody tested positive to one of the STDs, I had to go out and search down the contacts that the poor victim had to give me with much reluctance. And um, when you knocked on the door to inform the contacts of the fact that they had passed something on to somebody else, they were very, very annoyed with you, more than annoyed, angry, mm -hmm. furious. So it was, um, it was a bag of tricks that you had to have up your sleeve to calm them down and, and make sure that they got into clinic to get a test to make sure they were okay. So it, 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 the at, if for three or four hours a day, I was in the schools in that little block of that I talked about earlier, and uh, 
I was there for the children's health and we tested them for hearing and speech and vision and all the way down the line, made sure they had a physical. In those days, you know, there was no mandate about vaccines for childhood diseases. And that was a big, big problem because kids were coming to school that were not immunized against these diseases. And people who had the information and education were able to get those vaccines that they so desperately needed. So that was a lot of work because the kids couldn't go home with just a piece of paper. Mom, and it was in Spanish, but a lot of our people were illiterate. So it was really, um, you had to talk to them right then and there when they were registering the kids and when they came into the clinics. I had studied Spanish. I was very lucky. So I had some smattering and you know the people when I was hunting for a word would help me they knew I was struggling to explain something to them and they were wonderful uh, patient and, and wonderful and so um, my days were full <laughs> uh, I worked in the schools until school was out and then I carried my bag and went out into the uh, into the district and made my visits. I saw the new babies. I came with information about how their kids were doing. If somebody that I tested needed a pair of glasses, I helped them find their way through all of that. And we had services in those days that did help people who couldn't afford things like that. There was Lions Club who helped pay for the glasses and the city ran some other clinics that helped them too. And then, of course, um, we had usually in, in a neighborhood, New York has a lot of great hospitals, and we, use, we, we sent referrals to the hospitals. It was never as much as people having to find their way through the maze of a hospital, and you know, they a woman who has the bucks goes and knows where her doctor is and goes and talks to her doctor. And these people had the language barrier and so many issues that they, they had great difficulty in overcoming. And some of them never did. And, Naomi, uh, could I ask a question? You sound so um, compassionate and respectful, caring, resourceful. And I'm wondering, what what kept you going in this line of work, which is so... What kept me going? Yeah. I don't know. I was like this as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> With whatever I picked up, I was... Um, the, I think if they had an energizing bunny when I was growing up, which we didn't, they would have probably nicknamed me the energizing bunny. <laughs> um, um, I was uh, first born of two other siblings, and uh, I was five and six years older than 
the, the two of them. And my mother, this was during the Depression. Life was really hard. My father was ill and had problems with his uh, spine. And we moved from New Jersey into the city of New York when I was about seven, I think. And uh, I hated it. I hated the hard sidewalks and I didn't like the hot weather. I, we lived uh, in small towns in New Jersey. We probably moved once a year because we couldn't afford the rents as they would kind of move up. So my parents were always moving and uh, I became very adaptable. I was able to, all nothing fazed me. When I went into a new school, that was fine with me. I made new friends all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I still have one friend that I met when I was, I came to New York when I was um, the summer where I had finished third grade in New Jersey and fourth grade. I walked into the classroom. There was a young girl with long pigtails and she was seated in front of me and her pigtails kept falling into my inkwell because we used <laughs> real ink in those days. Yes, I remember. <laughs> and pens that really didn't write clearly. They were, I came home a mess <laughs> every day. My mother said, where did you get, and it wasn't washable ink, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, she and I are still friends. Oh. Matt, um, we're mm. both the same age, yeah. And uh, because of the virus, she's up in Vermont. She mm -hmm. usually she has an apartment in New York, right behind Lincoln Center. And uh, she's a she's a wonderful person. She was a teacher. Now I have a little story to tell you about her. Okay. Listen to this one. There must be, I don't know a more than a thousand schools in the city of New York. So many, so many. And uh, this was, um, I, I lived in the Bronx at the time, and this, the area that I was working in was in Manhattan, on the west side of Manhattan, closer to the Hudson River. And uh, my friend Barbara lived in Manhattan, and she became a teacher. So here I am, my first day of work, and I'm assigned to a school I've never been to. And that I told you I have a problem with that. I walked in and I went over to the school secretary and I said, um, I'm a school nurse. I'm assigned here. Where, where do I go? Where's my office? And she said, well, first you have to punch in. Oh, I said, how do I do? On the wall is a clock. And you go over there and you find your card with your name on it. It's all alphabetical. And you go down to uh, your name and you'll find where you are. And you put the, you put the card in the, un under the clock and it will punch in the time. And when you leave today, you'll punch out. I said, thank you very much. I went over to the clock. I looked down for my name, which was, my maiden name was Mazer with an M. 
I looked all the way down, but as I'm going down, I'm passing the ABCs, of course, and my friend's name pops up. Can you believe it? <laughs> it was her first day teaching, my first day school nurse. Oh, and wow. of all the people to be assigned out of the millions of people in New York, we, we, um, wow, we were together. That, that's amazing. You know, you, you referenced earlier the uh, World War II, and yeah. uh, you, you said you graduated high school. You told me that you had graduated high school in 1945. So that's right. What, what memories do you have of that period? Oh, well, I think the school was trying to help us deal with the events of the war. Um, and what it meant to be uh, living at home. And what, because when I studied, Amer I was studying American history as a senior in high school. Get this. And uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was our president. He had been, I, I didn't know of any other president. He mm -hmm. had been there for like 12 years, 11. Mm -hmm. He didn't finish his in his last term. And we were studying the New Deal, all about the things that happened from the Depression and how the country had dealt with helping everybody out of the miseries that we, we went through. And uh, I walked into my American history class that day, and my American history teacher walked in with sunglasses on. Mm -hmm. Couldn't figure out what was going on. All of us looked at each other. And uh, he had been crying. And this was a man in his 40s who apparently had experienced the same uh, sadness that we all did. I mean, the country was in shock as it was when JFK died. Mm -hmm. So that impressed me unbelievably. We, we, uh, we were, as I said, studying the New Deal and all the, um, the things that the government had done just like now right yeah mm -hmm. and um so that's a that's a memory that i carry forever i think yes and um there was something else i wanted to tell you but it's passed and i can't i can't bring it up <laughs> that's okay um yeah um so you you mentioned your friend and we, we hadn't talked about this, but has friendships, have friendships played a major part in your life? Would you say that again? Have friendships played a major part in your life? In addition? Yeah, I would say they have. Uh, I, I think the unfortunate thing too is I'm living longer than many of my friends made it. Sure. And uh, I, <laughs> yes, I'm a loner. I'm a loner mm -hmm. now. Yes, many yeah. of them are all gone. Yes, 
How did you meet your husband? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very short. Right now I'm 4'8", but I was 5'1". Okay. <laughs> I, I hold on to that statistic. <laughs> However, um, I must have, I was in my early 20s, maybe 23, 24. And um, I was in a group of people, young people, who uh, just got together. Nobody was a boyfriend, if you understand me, but there were guys and gals, and we all liked to hang together. And we would do many things, go to concerts and whatever. So anyway, this one fella, Fred, he, um, he loved to dance, and he was uh, over six feet tall. <laughs> For some reason, he, he liked me. I liked him. But we couldn't get together because he looked down from the, on top of his mountain, and, and, and there I was at the end of his tie. And um, <laughs> we, we decided that we liked each other, and we laughed a lot and so forth. And then, I don't know, at some point in time, he said, Naomi, he said, you know, I have somebody I'd like you to meet. And I said, who is that? And he said, he's my boss. And I said, well, yeah, tell me about him. So he told me a little about him. And uh, so that's how I met him. He, he rang the doorbell, I opened it up. And um, that was the beginning. <laughs> That was the beginning, and um, we dated off and on, and I was dating with other people, and he was, I guess. And then I went down to Washington, D.C. I wanted to try out living alone and apart from my family, because I was going to school at night here. And I did some research, and I found that a Catholic university in Washington, D.C. also uh, had a public health nursing program but it was more expensive than NYU and when I got to Washington and I was paying rent and supporting myself and after a year it was a little bit of a struggle I had to come back to New York I knew I couldn't continue going to school that way mm -hmm. so I came back and uh, when I came back I found a letter addressed to me care of although my my husband at that time didn't wasn't sure where i was because he knew i was from new york and that i had gone down to washington so um it was probably about two years later that we joined up again and i think we were older and more mature about a lot of things and that's how carried on. 1955 <laughs> was the date. And that's when we came up here to Connecticut and started putting roots down. And that's how we got here. And we <laughs> were great. in the same house for um, over 60 some odd years, 63 or 4, I think it is. Yes. Wow. You, you, um, you both were uh, Athletic, I think. Very. 
Well, here's here's the thing. Yes. My husband's family had a lot of health problems. <laughs> he had uh, four uncles and uh, his mother and um, yeah, I think there were f there were six I think there were five boys and my mother-in-law. So there were six of them. And in later life, they all developed heart disease. And my husband had, uh, and I, had some concerns about how he was going to go forth. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that I was in nursing and I knew a little bit about nutrition and so forth and the need for exercise. Um, he started to jog um, <laughs> when there weren't any clothes. That. that doesn't mean he went naked, of course, but he wore his old sneakers and uh, old blue jeans or whatever, and that's how he started. I was busy with babies and couldn't, we couldn't get together except on a weekend, but I picked up on it. And uh, over the years, I, I did a lot of exercising. I'd go to school at night and make dinner for the family before I left and drive. I, I drove through snowstorms, and I did it. I got, I got my degree. That was good. Mm -hmm. And um, what else? I... You told me that you uh, learned to ski in your 50s. Ah, well, I was in one of the schools, I think, and I was in the teacher's room. And they had a bulletin board up there, and they had um, a brochure from some uh, inn in, where was it? Massachusetts, I guess. And um, it was for a weekend or like a long holiday weekend where the schools are closed. And I guess that's why the teachers got the bulletin. And um, it was to learn how to either cross-country ski or downhill ski. So I said, well, cross-country sounds like it can't be too bad. So um, we got a whole bunch of friends to go with us. And my kids were older. I think they were probably... Um, how old were they? Probably in high school. So they can take care of themselves and off we went. And uh, we learned how to cross-country ski that weekend. And we loved it. <laughs> and we skied until my husband was 88 years old. That is great. Now That's Ned true. lived till he was 97. Uh-huh. You With my help. Wow. <laughs> You also said you, you did gardening and that you're an enthusiast. Oh, well, yeah. When we lived in New Jersey, I, I think I mentioned as a child, yeah, I loved being outside in the outdoors. I just adored it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told you I was really upset with my family to have to move into the city. Yes. I got to like the city because I had wonderful parents. We didn't have any money, but they took us to every museum that you can name in the city of New York. They were mm -hmm. all free. 
and all you needed was a nickel to get there. So, and and they they did the same thing. My mother would take us and with my father, of course, pack a picnic, and we'd go off to one of the the parks in the city, and she would fly a kite for us for the three of us, and then she'd get it up there, and we. She'd give us the string to hold, stuff like that. So I, I had a great childhood. I just, um, my, my parents were very involved in our, in our mm-hmm. growing up. They were wonderful, wonderful parents. So, you, you told me that your, um, yeah. that moving has, con- you know, you're moving your body has contributed to your long life. Well, I think it has. Also, the gardening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I um, so anyway, I I was digging and bringing in weeds that had flowers on them to my mother. <laughs> she said, "You know," she said, "there are nicer flowers." <laughs> so I said, "Well, how do you get them?" She says, "Well, you have to grow them, you know." And then when she would walk with me, and she'd point out how. Somebody had a, a lovely planting, and she said, somebody who lives there did that, made that. And mm-hmm. I said, how do you make that? Because I was drawing with crayons and putting flowers in front of the houses I grew. <laughs> and she mm-hmm. said, uh, you, someday you can do that yourself. And, uh, well, we got to New York, and I didn't have that. And uh, one... I think my father, you know, there were no jobs, so that was another thing. So my father went from job to job. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, uh, places he worked was, um, uh, I think, a florist. He worked for a florist. And the florist gave him a terrarium. My birthday is in the middle of winter, in December. And... Uh, he brought that terrarium. It was a living plant in there. And I was just, I was dipsy with, <laughs> with happiness. It was great. And uh, one spring, I remember seeing something growing on somebody's windowsill. And I said, what is that? My mom says, that's a window box. <laughs> I said, could I get one? And one spring my father came home with a box that we put outside the kitchen window on the sill mm-hmm. and a package of seeds it was petunias and we grew seeds right out the window <laughs> so uh, if you ask me how did i get interested i got interested yes and it's been like that ever since i haven't stopped buying seeds and plants <laughs> I should. I wish I could show you uh, the backyard here uh, from my daughter Susan's house when she moved in. The back was um, not very interesting. It was people who lived here had a little grassy back and a grassy front, but there wasn't any flora. And I made short work of that problem like I did at my own house. And I introduced gardens that still exist in the back. And I'm still changing the landscape. <laughs> I grew up plans. What? 
We put a pond in. We have goldfish swimming. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So. Naomi, I, I, you're, you're now living with your daughter and son-in-law, and you were in your own home for over 60 years. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about what that transition has been like for you? <laughs> well, I because we when um, when we got together and we looked at my problem, my house was really too big for me to take care of. I started to realize that I I couldn't do the, do it. I, and certainly I have had help over the years with it. But um, I, I just felt it was time to go. And I had no taste for moving in to a um, community of assisted living or whatever. That wasn't for me. My daughter and I have had a really wonderful relationship. I um, have had... Um, wonderful um, memories of her family, her children, and so forth. And um, it has enriched my, my, my life and my husband's who had the same thing. We're a very close family. And uh, we all loved each other. So it, was, uh, it wasn't hard to, to do it. It took a little bit of, uh, I felt somewhat unsettled, but um, I came in April, and that was just when the virus was starting to knock on our doors. Right. And so that gave me um, pause. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it was unsettling because uh, I have enjoyed my freedom. I still drive, by the way. You That's do. interesting to any of you. Not very far. I can make my way to the market, but I don't shop now because of my age. I'm very terrified that I go in someplace. But once a week, get this. They take me to a garden center that's outside, and I can walk around with my mask and look at everything. I love it. <laughs> love it. Well, as we close here, and unfortunately, the time goes so fast. I know. As we close, do you have any words of that you'd like to leave with our listeners? That um, yeah. You know, I told you that I... Um, I cross-country ski. Well, that wasn't every day. Mm -hmm. You can't go out and cross-country ski if your body isn't willing to do that. Mm -hmm. You've got to get yourself tuned up. So uh, um, when my husband started the jogging bit, um, I, I jogged with him. And um, we used to run early in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning. We were up and running. Winter, summer, spring, and fall, we're out there on the road, even if it was just a mile, but we did. And uh, then from running, as we aged, we started walking. And, we, I, and of course, I gardened, so I'm, um, 
I, my words of wisdom are, you only get one chance. This body of ours is such a valuable asset and people don't appreciate it. You have to take care of it and feed it properly and get enough rest and do fun things and, and, and move your body. Don't, if you're sitting for more than an hour, you must get up and do something else. Mm -hmm. have to do that. So, and then you sleep like a log at night. <laughs> and, and, and everything will come your way. Everything. Wow. Thank you, Naomi, for joining us today. This has just been a lovely conversation. Oh, well, I, I'm very happy to talk with you and share you. my stuff. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And listeners, we want to hear from you. Please share your thoughts in our Facebook group at Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. Become an active participant in our community and join us at our Zoom gatherings. Access our weekly Wednesday podcasts. We'll see you next Wednesday on Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com. <laughs>